Okay. Well, welcome to our first CAODC podcast. We are hoping to be producing a podcast each month starting now, and we're excited to be here uh, for the August edition. We have as our special guest, Tristan Goodman, President of the Explorers and Producers Association of Canada. But first, as a regular feature, we'll be providing a quick industry update and looking at some numbers. For our listeners who are really into these kinds of numbers, we encourage you to become an Associate Plus member as that will give you access to our rig data platform uh, where we've got a ton of information um, about rig activity and you can customize reports using our new uh, our new uh, website so if you're interested in that check out uh, our membership options at caodc.ca we are also looking for a name for this wonderful podcast and a title sponsor so if you are creative and have some name suggestions, keep them clean and uh, send them in. And if you're interested in sponsoring, please send us uh, some suggestions as well. You can send those to communications at caodc.ca. All right, so we're uh, just into Q3 2019. We can have a look at uh, what's happened in, in uh, drilling so far this year. Um, through Q1 2019, we've had 15,314 operating days. So we are down 7,530 days from our 2018 numbers. Uh, through Q2 2019, we had a total of 7,266 operating days. So we're down 2,337 days from 2018. On the well servicing side, we track operating hours and in Q1 2019, we had 297,148 operating hours. Um, Q1 2018, we had 324,620. So we are at a 27,472 operating hour deficit. However, through Q1, or sorry, through Q2 2019, we had 216,675 operating hours. Uh, so we are up from 2018 levels. In 2018, we had 207,276. So we are at, a, I guess, a deficit of approximately 18,000 if you consider we were positive uh, through Q2 2019 on the well servicing side. So that's a lot of numbers. Uh, for some perspective, in 2016, which was the worst year in our association history, recorded history, uh, we had 13,381 operating days in Q1 and 4,163 in Q2. So in total, um, this year, we are up only 5,000, just over 5,000 uh, operating days since 2016 or sorry, from 2016 levels. So that means that we're only up 5,000 days from the worst year uh, in association history. As far as drilling locations go, the most active basins in Western Canada by well count continue to be the Montney and the Bakken, with the Cardium, Viking and Deep Basin all hovering around third place on any given day. Uh, we've been averaging between approximately 130 and 150 active rigs. And we define active rigs as rigs that are either moving or drilling. So essentially any billing activity. 
Um, so during July and into August, uh, they we've been running about 130 to 150 active rigs. That number is down from 209 and 264 in Q1 and Q2 2018, respectively. So if we use our number of 135 direct and indirect jobs per working rig, uh, and we do know that others would use a higher number there, uh, we tend to keep it lean at about 135 direct and indirect jobs. That means we're looking at about a deficit of 11,000 to 16,000 jobs from this time last year. So why are these numbers significant, you might ask? Well, first and foremost, they are significant because the price of oil has stabilized quite a bit since uh, the downturn in 2014. Um, you know, we, I think we're just above $30 at one point back in the day there. And we have been hovering around high 50s, low 60s consistently for quite a while now. Uh, we have seen the price of ACO come off about 30% since those, uh, or since 14, however. But the typical factors affecting the industry, such as commodity pricing, supply and demand, uh, weather, although I guess this year we've had a lot more rain than, than usual, so weather's been a bit lousier than normal, but uh, for the most part we've been moving within normal variation ranges. So this means there must be something more to the story because we're still in trouble in Canada. The oil and gas industry right now, especially the service side, is still in trouble. Investment in oil and gas is down considerably while other oil producing areas have seen better recovery rates since 2014. Um, of course anyone following our industry can tell you what the two biggest factors are. Policy, and a lack of pipelines. But what they may not see if they don't work in the industry is that companies in our business, certainly, as I said, drilling and well servicing, are still hurting. Clearly, there's still a problem. So the question is, what are some potential solutions? And to discuss this and more, our special guest today, very special guest, is Tristan Goodman, president of the Explorers and Producers Association of Canada. Welcome, Tristan, and thank you very much for joining us today. Great, thanks very much, John, I appreciate it. Well, to start off, can you give our listeners a bit of a background on uh, how you came into the role of president at EPAC? Yeah, sure, so um, I've been with EPAC now as the president for seven or eight months, and uh, I've got a fairly diverse background across uh, different locations here and, and globally. Um, so I really, I've worked for a number of large multinationals in different roles, both in the upstream and downstream business uh, in this country and a, and a few other countries. And uh, I also have an extensive background in government. Um, so my last role was a senior vice president uh, with one of the larger energy regulators. Um, and then I guess by sort of uh, training, I'm, uh, I'm a fairly well-qualified uh, so scientist and economist, I'm also uh, have a extensive legal background in Canada and uh, in the United Kingdom. So that's sort of where I am. And the reason I took on the role was really I, I actually see a lot of uh, a lot of positives for for our industry going forward. I think uh, Canadians have high expectations of our industry from an environmental perspective and from. Uh, from dealing with uh, uh, their issues on climate change, but I think our industry can provide a lot of those solutions, both in in the oil space through 
various uh, strong environmental standards that we follow, as well as obviously within the natural gas space. Um, there is nothing more beneficial we can do around um, the issue of climate change than start developing LNG. It has by far the biggest impact. So I think there's great opportunity. I also like the concept that um, this is a Canadian-based approach. We have a fantastic resource both on oil and natural gas. Um, and I think you know that just hasn't been recognized at how big of an economic contributor that can be to support the values that Canadians want from you know getting new hospitals and keeping taxes at reasonable levels to ensuring that uh, schools have adequate uh, support. And so unfortunately, you know real realistically that costs money. So I'm, I'm relatively passionate about that and I think I could add some value there. Excellent. Um, so your members, for our listeners who might not be familiar with EPAC, can you give us uh, some of your uh, members that our, our listeners may be familiar with? Yeah, so we have a broad suite of members. Effectively, what we have is, um, is we represent the Canadian-based uh, non-oil sands producers, both in oil and natural gas. Love my oil sands. It's fantastic. It's a great resource. But um, other associations are doing a good job representing those folks. And um, there really is that, uh, you know, that pocket. We have about $150 billion under asset management right now. So it's a big chunk. Um, just as an example, in Alberta, we represent about up to 60% of all natural gas produced in the province. Um, and in the oil side, depending on how you slice and dice that, um, we represent a, a, a fairly significant chunk of Canada's production. So, you know, we have some uh, small members that are still uh, managing to survive under these difficult economic conditions. They're producing, you know, they're just uh, a couple of friends that got together and they're producing right up to large organizations that uh, many people would know from Paramount to Crescent to Tourmaline and others. So I think, um, you know, there's some bigger, uh, bigger members in there and then everybody in between. And we, we are in British Columbia, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and Manitoba. Those are the groups we represent. Uh, some great companies uh, out in Manitoba and uh, some good production out there. So um, we're pretty proud to represent those folks. So that's sort of who, who our members are. Mm -hmm. From your perspective, how uh, has 2019 been going? Uh, I think there, there's no question there's some, uh, some obvious uh, challenges. Uh, I don't think we, you know, we can certainly go through some of those. Um, at a high level, I mean, let's, let's face it, it's tough. Um, we have a serious competition problem in this country. A dollar will flow uh, to the path of least resistance. And right now it's unfortunately, I would say, not just in oil and gas, but broadly in a number of sectors from uh, across natural resource development, it is challenging to get that very needed international investment into this country. So competition, meaning you've got to compete for that money, is a priority. The other one, of course, as you mentioned, uh, I think very wisely, market access. And it's not, not just about let's get more pipe or, um, in the case of oil, more rail. It's also about how you access that. How do you, within those big, what I'd call national assets, things that are really truly something that drives a country, um, how do you get fair and equal access into those for all players? Um, not just those that conform the longest uh, 
commitment with the biggest balance sheet, but for everybody. Um, and you know, you want you want everybody participating, and you want a, a clear, fair, fair access to those both in oil and natural gas. So some of your members made uh, big news a few weeks back by announcing a proposal for a voluntary curtailment on natural gas production. Uh, first of all, can you explain to us uh, what the proposal involves? And then secondly, could you give us some idea why something like this has uh, sort of even entered the conversation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so maybe before I, I get into the specifics, just give you the bit of background just to make sure every, all the listeners understand where we're at here. Um, really, the natural gas business um, in Canada, you can use various words. I like the word crisis. You can, if you can find something stronger, really that's where we're at. As you indicated, we have some stability now. It's not fantastic, but at least some stability in the oil uh, side of the business. Um, I'm not saying we're in the growth mode that I feel we should be, but at least uh, we don't have uh, a potential to really negatively impact our future there. We're sort of stable and waiting for a few things to resolve. On the natural gas side, that is not the case. We, we have a, a serious situation going on, and that's caused by a number of different uh, items. Partially, that's obviously the market access issue that uh, people have developed a lot of natural gas and it is difficult to get that natural gas out due to pipeline capacity. And that's not a, a negative about any pipeline company out there. We, we love our pipeline companies. Um, and of course, we have discussions with them on specific issues, um, but really we have, we have a capacity problem. So as a result of that, the question really starts to become, um, what, what happens on a go-forward basis to resolve how you get access to pipe? Who gets it? How do you do that, as I indicated before? The second problem we've got is we've got what I'd call a, um, a connection to market problem. And that is a unique situation. It's very odd. Um, but what we have is we have a situation where pricing uh, on a daily basis for natural gas in Alberta can be quite low but yet someone, I'm not joking, 10 meters across the border in Saskatchewan is, is willing to pay a lot more for that particular molecule of gas. So it's called market connectivity. And I think what people are, uh, are really frustrated with is what they see as a, as a lack of market connectivity there. Um, an inability to understand if someone is willing to buy gas in Chicago at a certain price, why they can't sort of fetch that price minus transport. And that is the frustration I think we're seeing generally. There's been a lot of good work by the government uh, to try to resolve this. Uh, I really appreciate uh, the Kenny government's actions here and Minister Nally specifically his, his outstanding efforts uh, along with his department to try to resolve this. I also appreciate TC Energy um, genuinely coming to the table and trying to resolve these issues. So the question though is then what are the options? And I'm not going to get into all the options here because I think the uh, the government has that, but I will just uh, talk about this voluntary piece. There's a number of members, and I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's homogeneous across our member set, but it certainly is. A few folks are looking to help and provide a solution. So one of the solutions they came up with was this uh, voluntary management program, and what that really involves is sort of saying, um, 
during maintenance periods or during a period when the government is uncomfortable for what uh, they're getting for their, uh, their product that they own, uh, similar to oil, there would be uh, a way to manage that onto a system. And effectively what it would be is um, you could, the government or someone could direct um, uh, some gas to come off a system uh, and there would be an incentive provided by the government to do that. Whatever that incentive might be, it could be a royalty credit or something else. There are some challenges with this proposal. Um, and I do appreciate uh, the government's leadership here to look through this. I don't know if that's the right option. I don't really think any of my members, even the folks that put this forward, mind what the solution is. That's one of many options. They're just looking for something to get what Premier Kenny has called the, the reasonable price for natural gas in Alberta. And that's his language, not mine. He said that publicly that that's his expectations. So can you, and that's, you know, we've heard natural gas pricing for Alberta gas is subject to the same type of differential that you see between, for example, uh, WTI and WCS. Are the reasons for the discount the same? Uh, can you give us a bit of a background on what influences that? Uh, you know, things like when we discussed this a while back, transportation bottlenecks, uh, how producers are securing space on a pipeline. Um, you know, what are some of the things that impact the price differential? Sure. Um, so obviously a lot of this right now is focused on uh, Alberta and what people refer to as ACO, um, near that Edmonton area. And it's, uh, you'll hear the term ACO or NIT or whatever you want to call it. Um, obviously I want to mention if you're in British Columbia, you've got other like station two or others to go through and you have similar issues. So in many ways, the answer to your question is it's similar to oil. The answer is both yes and no. So yes, in the, in the sense that um, at the most macro level, you effectively have a lot of gas and not a lot of pipe, and your market uh, at the end of that pipe is relatively tight. Everybody is producing this on North in North America. It's very difficult, to, as you know, to get uh, natural gas off the North American continent, unlike oil. And that's the key to LNG, to make that in, in a way like oil, a global commodity rather than a trapped North American. <clears throat> and the U.S. has had, <coughs> apologize, some success uh, doing that. But then you get into the more, the less macro and you get into what are those specific issues. Um, one of the, the major specific issues is, is TC Energy has spent a lot of time and I think doing the right thing uh, trying to get regulatory approval to increase uh, capacity on their existing system. And if they were to do that, I think we do have uh, some of this issue resolved. The problem is I think they've been having some challenges in the regulatory space at the federal level with the speed at which they can reasonably move through that system. The, the term reasonable is important here. Um, I don't think most Canadians would expect um, something as important as a natural gas pipeline or even a change to that to be approved in a couple of days. But in the same sense, I also don't think most Canadians would expect uh, a two-year or a three-year window to be reasonable. That is unreasonable. The federal government, um, and particularly the NEB, unfortunately, is, is, has not got this right. They're in a difficult spot as a regulator because they have to follow legislation, recognize that, but the outcome is still unreasonable. And, and really negatively impacting jobs, 
GDP, and I would argue our ability actually to really deal practically with Canadians' expectations around climate change. Again, you've got to get this stuff built, you've got to get it dealt with, you've got to do some fuel switching from coal and other sources in, in uh, Korea and, and Japan, and you can have a significant impact here. So, but unfortunately, I don't think pragmatism is entering that space. So that's just uh, some, some aspects of this. Well, and I think I would add um, the ability to sustain a business. Mm -hmm. I mean, these types of uh, extended timelines uh, for our members in particular, you know, you can't go three, four, five years without any meaningful cash flow while you wait on approvals for projects. I mean, it's just not, there's no, that's no way to keep a, the doors open and, and to keep people working and to, to keep your debt levels down. And I mean, you need cash flow. Uh, Correct. And you can't, you know, four or five years without it is just, that's what shuts uh, all of these businesses down and, and what uh, puts a lot of Albertans and, and Canadians uh, on the unemployment line, unfortunately. Correct. And I, and I mean, the other thing that we have to be practical about, I mean, since this country really got started, when, when Quebec City was established back in the early 1600s, Canadians have continued to develop their natural resources. That started there almost the day um, that uh, Quebec was established uh, as a city, and uh, it has prospered, and that's gone across the country into other parts, if you follow our history. And we are a nation that uh, develops our natural resources, not just oil and gas. And so when that becomes compromised, I think the risk is that that starts to spill over into other areas. And that's really unfortunate. We also have a pretty good track record, you know, around um, how we manage expectations. Um, as those expectations of Canadians have changed, so too have laws, rules, and the general outcome of protecting what Canadians value. So unfortunately, I think this, uh, this false narrative that, um, you know, we're suddenly moving away in general from hydrocarbons. It's simply not accurate. Nothing wrong with new renewables. They're fantastic. Great. Where they work and where they make economic sense. But the projections for the massive growth globally in natural gas as well as oil, um, we've got to be practical here. It, it just doesn't make sense to not develop our resources here and then to just have to import, uh, as for example, Quebec is doing, um, from countries that are not necessarily uh, have anything like the same human rights or environmental record. It, it's just illogical. Well, the infrastructure piece is, is huge. Um, and it's, it's the reason why we're talking about all of these different strategies uh, with production, curtailments, etc. cetera. Um, one of the, I guess, another way gas differs from oil is that there are some ways of bringing extra capacity with the existing infrastructure by increasing compression. And I found that very interesting. Uh, can you kind of explain a little bit about that, uh, how it can be done and, and how much extra capacity can be added to the system or? So, uh, yeah, certainly. Um, so in the case of natural gas, um, and you could argue this in the case of oil, it's more complicated there and it depends on the line you're looking at and such forth. But for what I think the theme of what we're talking about here. In the case of the NGTL system, a lot of this is capacity, uh, is compression. And it is simply the approval to put in 
put in place that compression. It's not a technical piece, is my understanding. They they actually, uh, and I have a lot of confidence in um, the NGTL system to get this stuff built in a very rapid manner if they had the approvals and uh, could move forward. The To the extent of how much capacity are we talking about, you know, it's tough to say numbers. I mean, that would be better something that uh, TC Energy would be able to speak to in specifics. But this is not an insignificant amount. This isn't a sort of a 10% increase. We're talking substantive increases far above that that would be noticeable and um, could get us, I believe, to at least a large portion of the way there to see new drilling start to occur, to get additional uh, supplies in uh, a, quite a large volume to those U.S. markets or elsewhere. and also to sort of bridge us until we start to see more LNG built either in the United States or preferably in Canada. That, you know, we've got this short-term problem. We're talking about increased compression and resolving some uh, um, situations in the NGTL system or elsewhere uh, in Canada. Then we're talking about midterm, some opportunities for all sorts of discussions start to occur, occur there from another pipeline to maybe the uh, actually seeing that other compression come online. And then finally, four, five, six years out, you're looking at LNG. And it really doesn't matter where the LNG is. We'd like it with our uh, friends and uh, neighbors in British Columbia. But I mean, there is a lot of people looking at Quebec and uh, Quebec has been fairly positive actually on uh, uh, LNG. So from a production standpoint and from a driller standpoint, we don't mind where the resource goes. We just want somewhere for it to go. Sure. And I think over the last couple of years, at least, uh, gas has kind of been lost in the conversation. Uh, we talk, we hear a lot about oil, but we don't kind of, I guess, maybe always remember how important gas is to Alberta and, and Western Canada um, and what a huge opportunity is it is for us uh, going forward. I mean, with the LNG Canada uh, uh, project happening up uh, in northern BC, that's terrific. Uh, there's a big demand for uh, growing nations around the world to convert from coal or, or to get into cogen uh, with coal. You know, I mean, there are many, many opportunities for gas for sure. Uh, so getting back, I guess, to some of the things that we're looking at in the short term here to address some of the issues, um, when, you, when it comes to, to curtailment, a lot of critics uh, would suggest that, you know, th they start throwing around terms like subsidies or corporate welfare, things of that nature. How do you respond to those types of opinions when it comes to uh, suggestions on getting the market sort of back to work or, or freeing it up to, to work properly. Yeah, I, I would strongly disagree with, uh, I think it's ignorance actually, if there's there's comments on corporate welfare. Um, that's generally would not be understanding the system that is existing within Canada. Um, let's remember this is not a US merchant pipeline system. Um, since what, 1958, when, when Prime Minister Diefenbaker put in place the NEB, to regulate pipelines, um, one of the main reasons is to ensure that uh, there is regulations and that, that we can get towards a free market because it is, it, unfortunately, um, there is not enough competition among uh, the lines to not uh, open yourself up to at least a perception of abuse. 
And so to prevent that, the uh, National Energy Board is there or soon to evolve into other regulators under uh, C69. But practically, I think um, curtailment uh, has resulted in a lot of um, positives, quite frankly. Uh, it has protected jobs. It has allowed some stability to reign during a period when um, it may have been very chaotic and we could have some serious job loss uh, across various industries, including uh, the industry, obviously, that the CAODC represents. So I think uh, it also is being very well managed by the Alberta government. Uh, Premier Kenny has been clear that he, he, really like many of us, no one likes oil curtailment. Um, and I think we need to get out of oil curtailment over an extended period when the evidence that uh, is there to support that the differentials won't um, move apart at any greater rate than they currently are at. And when I think um, we have storage levels at the right place. The government has looked at this. They're slowly pulling themselves out. Um, you know, it's almost like a a sort of interest rate hike at a central bank. They're, they're playing in quarters, and in fact, it's 25,000 barrels they're sort of moving away from and allowing that to flex. They're also bringing in rail. I think it's exceptionally well managed uh, by the government right now, and I think over time you will see curtailment uh, be removed entirely, but it'll have to be connected with some new market access, uh, not just rail, but also pipe, and making sure we don't send it back to where it was, which was basically the province and us as Alberta citizens, and really as Canadians, we're almost giving away our natural endowment of resource and not getting a fair fair market for that. That's not legitimate. Yeah. Well, this is all excellent stuff. Um, we started off off air this morning, and and uh, you had a slightly more optimistic view than than we did, and uh, I think that's excellent. It's great to hear some optimism. And so I'm wondering if maybe just before we go, you could give us your, uh, put on your Swami's hat and uh, give us your thoughts on the next 18 months. Uh, if, you know, I mean, all indications are Trans Mountain expansion is going to be guns a blazing here in the fall. And uh, of course, we're coming into an election, which will have a big impact. But uh, yeah, what are some of your thoughts on end of the uh, second half of uh, 19 and into 2020? So um, I, I am actually positive um, for our industry on a long-term basis. I am not naive, nor am I not pragmatic. We have a, a tough uh, year coming up here, um, but we now have some stability. We also have um, people that are really genuinely starting to understand, holy smokes, um, there's some serious loss of gross domestic product here. And also, there's some serious misrepresentations of facts around the development of our hydrocarbons, uh, both within our province, in our nation, but also globally. Um, and I think those are being rectified, and people are tra treating that seriously in positions of power. Um, I also think um, when you look moving forward, we have some great advantages uh, here. We can compete globally. If we can get our competitiveness, whether that's fiscal competitive, regulatory, um, under control, and I think uh, there's some outstanding initiatives from a number of different governments currently occurring. And also, I do think we will see um, 
On the oil side, I think you are going to see capacity come online. I believe that will actually move forward. And on the gas side, I think that capacity uh, uh, will also get resolved in a, in a sensible period, whether that's a year or two years, it's in that range. Is that going to solve all our problems? No. Is that sufficient? No. Are there some uh, potential darker clouds that could come out? Um, yes, there are. We do need governments that are supportive on a go-for basis. And obviously, when uh, people are uh, preparing to uh, uh, move into elections, it's always difficult to read what people are saying uh, is is truth versus maybe fiction. Uh, that's That's tough. The other one, obviously, that could throw all of this, if you start moving into a global recession, I wouldn't underestimate uh, the impact of or, or the importance of a trade war. Um, that is a major issue. You cannot underestimate what is happening between uh, China and the U.S. right now. It, you, you do not need a global recession at this point in time for the Canadian energy business. That will be extremely unhelpful, uh, and I would say that would be put very diplomatically. So. In general, though, I think the we are in a state where we've got to look at some of the positives, which are many now lining up. Finally, we have outstanding technical people still. They have not all left. Um, many have. It's a problem. It's going to be a problem in the future as we recover. But we will recover, and we will have to deal with that. And we have an amazing resource. That's the thing that people just can't replicate. We happen to have um, a tremendous... Uh, oil resource in non-oil sands across a number of different provinces from Manitoba to others and we have an outstanding resource in natural gas I mean just in a way barking mad in volume I mean it is absolutely <laughs> incredible so those are the positives um, being realistic it's it's going to be another difficult year I think finishing it up it won't be quite as bad because we can start to see a serious light here at the end of the tunnel. So that's where I'm at. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on our first uh, CAODC podcast. We really appreciate your time and your expertise. Uh, and I want to thank you for listening. Um, once again, we will be publishing a podcast each month, we hope to be. If you have any suggestions for a name, <laughs> We haven't named it yet, so if you've got any creative ideas, please let us know as well. If you would like to uh, consider sponsoring it, we really think this is going to take off and uh, be a must-listen for people in, in the oil and gas industry here in Canada and maybe even abroad. Uh, let us know, and you can send us uh, any of those comments to uh, communications at caodc.ca. I don't think I introduced myself at the beginning of the podcast. I'm John Bako, Vice President of Communications. Our special guest today was Kristen Goodman, President of the Explorers and Producers Association of Canada. Thanks again, Kristen. Thank you. Really appreciate the work that uh, the CAODC does. It's extremely important and uh, hope listeners will continue to support that organization. Well, thank you very much. Be sure to uh, check out our podcast uh, next month. And with that... Signing off.